welcome to this first episode of the Ishan S. Show. Today, we'll be taking a look at the ransomware and cyber attacks facing our nation and talk about what's happening and what President Biden is going to do about them. The May jobs report just came in today. Did they meet expectations? And where did the 2022 midterm stand and how's that shaping up 2024? We'll be taking a look at those stories and more today, Friday, June 4th, 2021. And welcome to the first episode of the Ishan S. Show. It is an amazing privilege to be able to speak to you guys from here today. And of course, through podcasts, but it's still equally as exciting to be able to speak to you today. It's quite exciting for me because this is my first episode on my first podcast and I couldn't think of something more exciting to start my summer break with. And so I and looking at it, I think it'd only be fair for me to tell you a bit about myself before I get started and, you know, we start this show. So if you couldn't pick up from the title, my name is Ishan. And if you read a bit um, in the about tab of this podcast, you may have found um, you may have found that I am 15 years old, but I'm still quite interested in politics. I like to think that I know a little more than my peers about the political system, what's going on. I pay a little more attention, I feel. It's been something that I've loved to look at and analyze for uh gosh uh how how long i I'm thinking four years now uh I took a very vested interest in the twenty sixteen election, and that's what that's what really got me going for politics. I had an interest in this stuff before that, but I didn't really turn it into a hobby until about four years ago. Um, I think there was a lot more involvement from the community and so many people were taking action and so many people were speaking more. And I think it would have been impossible for somebody like me who paid attention to this stuff a little less back then. It would have been impossible for me not to pick up on that much. Um, at that time, of course, we were so divided and Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton were dominating the news cycle every single day. Um, so it naturally got my attention. And I guess it must have stuck because I pretty much paid attention to politics every day after um, after whenever I started liking it. Um, I've watch the careers of different politicians from both sides of the aisle. I watched the Trump presidency with the closed lens. I followed the Democratic primary. I watched every primary debate. I followed the midterms in 2018. I especially followed the 2020 U.S. presidential election. Um, the Biden transition and the Biden administration is what I've been doing. So this podcast it seemed like a natural next step for me. I wanted to get into some form of media um, and, and, you know, give my view, my thoughts about what's going on. And, you know, a podcast wasn't actually the worst idea, I thought. I saw why. And then I said, why not? Why don't I give it a try? And so here I am <laughs> talking to you through my podcast, The Sean S. Show. Now, I think what makes this possible is that we live in a country with a very unique political system. I'm not saying that other countries don't have their own unique political systems, but I think the United States has 
a different kind of system where we have a simple two-party country. Now, don't get me wrong, again, other countries definitely have those two dominant political parties, Labour and Conservative, the BJP Congress, United Russia, and um, the opposition there. There's usually a leading party and the opposition party. But it's not, here in America, it's not like a parliamentary democracy where you have to build coalitions and work with them one another a lot more uh, to get anything done. And it's not like other presidential democracies where, um, where there are like eight parties that are quite prominent in themselves, usually with two leading political parties. But it's not like other presidential democracies where there are like eight parties that you have to pay attention to. Here in the United States, we have two political parties that run things. There's no like coalition building or that stuff. It's two parties. They run the day-to-day operations and power shifts between these two entities, the Democrats and the Republicans, all the time. And I think what's really what really gets people into that stuff, what gets them interested in it is the constant power shift or the influence or the policies or whatever the heck is going on up in Capitol Hill or the White House or the Supreme Court. Um, and, and it's something to wrap your head around. Everything that happens in politics has a huge impact on your everyday life. You may not realize it, but politics can impact something as minor as when you can drive in the left lane or something, or as massive as potentially war. Politics covers every aspect of life. And now more than ever, with a world or a country and a world more interconnected than ever, I think I personally feel that it's more important for everybody to understand how politics works. And I hope to be an agent of informative politics. I want to report what's going on up in DC. I want to bring to you bring you my analysis and my insight about how I feel about what's going on, not my opinion necessarily, but just what I think might happen, why I think this is happening, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And through it all, I'm going to try to come Tuesdays and Fridays and I hope that you join me and I hope that you take this seriously. I hope this comes across as a serious political news podcast that is designed to inform you about what this the, the path that our country is going down um, and what the future holds. How does the past impact the present? How does the present define the future? You know, it's a lot to wrap your head around. So yeah, that's a bit about me, Ishan, and a bit about where I intend on taking this show. And uh, we'll be right back after this short break. Okay, so we're back from our break. And as I said in the opening, we are going to talk about a story that's been hitting our country by storm for a a few months now, actually, over continuous uh, occasions and events uh, of this issue. Um, And that's ransomware and cyber attacks that um, our country has been facing. Uh, If you don't know um, about what's going on, for the past few months, um, even actually not even the past few months, since perhaps December, even when Trump was president, our country was facing 
a lot more cyber attacks than than ever recorded before and this is and this wasn't in like you know minor situations this was in pretty big spots i remember the first one that um was um in december during the trump presidency when i think the departments of the treasury homeland security and other um other governmental agencies that were quite important they were hacked and um the Microsoft Office feature, I believe, that was uh, that was hacked and they were looking through it. And in that moment of time, there was a big concern over the cybersecurity of the U.S. government. After a few months, we we saw a few more attacks, mainly from Russia, China and Iran, you know, our adversaries. And in this modern time of cyber warfare, it's not uncommon we do the same thing to them, they do the same thing to us. But the levels at which this was occurring seemed to get a lot more alarming. So between December and perhaps last month, there wasn't a huge issue going on. There wasn't a lot going on. But then uh, then uh, in April, the U.S. Department of Justice started noticing a lot more uh, government agencies getting hacked and a lot more government entities getting hacked after the December incident. So they created a special ransomware task force after they declared 2020 being the worst year for extortion related cyber attacks. And this is an issue that even after April seems to be getting even more concerning by the day. I think you might have heard about the colonial pipeline hacking. That was um, when one of the biggest oil suppliers in the United States was hacked by um, Russian hackers. It's not definite or clear yet as to whether or not these people were state-sponsored or whether they were their own private entity or if they're just cyber criminals. But we know for a fact that Colonial Pipelines was um, attacked or hacked rather by Russian criminals, cyber criminals. And this had a huge impact for many Americans in the South. Um, pipes uh, had to be shut down because and Colonial supplies a lot of oil, a lot of gas um, and a lot of fuel for many Americans in the in the southern region of our country. So for a few weeks, uh, there was a whole gas shortage. People were lining up in gas stations trying to get whatever they can to fuel their vehicles. It was um, chaos. And gas prices were also going up in the region. So that wasn't helping either. And then after that, um, a few other incidents have also occurred. Um, Florida City, there was a city in Florida, their water supply was now uh, was hacked. And then more recently, I'm pretty sure you might have heard about this one. This was um, one of the world's top meat pro- producers, meat packers rather, that are situated here in the United States. They have over 80 locations across our country. They had to shut down operations for a few days because they too were hacked. And this wasn't like any... And, and the hacks that we're seeing aren't like, you know, they're getting into our system and they're corrupting it. They're also taking ransoms for it. They're they're hacking into our systems. They're doing whatever they want to do. And they're saying, we're not going to leave until you pay a price to us. That's the really concerning part. And what gets me personally a little more worried is that our government has been facing these attacks. Department of Treasury, Department of Homeland Security, and other federal agencies have been the target of this. 
That's a deeply concerning thing. Because this cyber warfare thing, it's very new. It's not something that I remember happening even five years ago. This has been happening far more recently in this new era of cyber cyber um, interconnectedness between different countries. And as, um, as bad people, really, get their hands on these devices or these materials and this technology to really screw up countries, many people are being put at risk. I don't think we would ever see anything, you know, truly devastating occur from this. I wouldn't want that for anybody in our country. But um, I think these companies, or these criminals rather, have the resources and they've established it thus far. They have the resources to really interfere in our country's systems through these things, through through their hacking. Um, And many of them are situated out of our adversaries. So that's Russia, China, Iran, and other countries like that, but primarily Russia. That's one country that's been noted for these cyber attacks. In fact, the one from December were, as um, as I said, uh, the Colonial Pipeline one was Russian hackers, but the one from December is believed to also be Russian, a Russian attack. So it's it's concerning that Big countries, powerful countries are using this newfound, newfangled technology to hack one another and try to mess each other up. And it's not just our government agencies that are facing this. Colonial Pipeline is facing this. The meatpacking industry is facing this. Other industries are also facing this. A ferry operator in Martha's Vineyard, Cape Cod and Nantucket were hit by this ransomware attack. The NYC subway system was a victim of this. There is a lot more ransomware cybersecurity concerns going on. Now, what is being done about it? Because this is a deeply concerning issue. And people are saying, oh, this is a, uh, this is a cybersecurity issue and must be dealt with. I might want to take it one step further and say this could be a national security issue. Because if countries like if our adversaries are able to hack into our systems and do this type of damage... Um, and really impact American pe- uh, the American people like this, this is more of a national security issue than anything else. And um, it should be dealt with. And there needs to be uh, more investment in all of this, regardless of what it may cost, because we need to understand this issue more closely. We need to uh, prevent these from happening. And we need to make sure that we can monitor it. That's that's the number one thing that should be noted. The president um, who is set to meet with Russian President um, Vladimir Putin has said, President Biden uh, said that he will be meeting with him in a few weeks, I believe. And there he plans on discussing this issue. He said that this will be a topic of discussion between President Biden and Putin. And it's and it's a pretty important thing for them to discuss, um, and it should be something that should be noted and it should be understood between one another. And U.S. intelligence agencies, I think, now it's time for them to also begin preparing for more attacks. Um, intelligence agencies, defense agencies, 
any agency for that matter, and any private company, any big private company that has a huge impact on American lives, um, they should also be preparing for something like this. Because gas prices, food prices, meat prices, uh, recreational prices, transportation prices, all of these can go up as companies get impacted by this in more devastating and severe ways. And then as for government issues uh, that, that, may be com- that may come upon due to this stuff, I think that's, a, that's something that must be addressed too. So what's and and um I believe the Department of Homeland Security is now looking into this issue, as I said earlier, the Department of Justice has created a special task force to look into this, and President Biden has said that this is a top uh priority of his, this is a top priority um of his uh of his administration. And he's been taking a little more action. So he signed an executive order, I believe, last month requiring companies um, doing that, that service the government or help the government or provide any type of support for the government and through their services to improve their cybersecurity practices. And other than that, they have also said that the administration is building um, an international coalition to hold countries who harbor ransom actors accountable. So international coalitions are being formed. People are looking into this. There's more action being taken right now to do this, which is good. Um, And I think it should be something that should have been done earlier. But better, better, uh, better late than sorry, right? So that's what's going on with the ransomware and cyber attacks. And we'll be monitoring this closely and we'll bring to you any stories that might come out of this. We'll be right back after this. Okay, so we're back from our break. And uh, now we're going to be talking about the May jobs numbers. So every month, if you didn't know, the federal government provides the American people with the number um, uh, with the number of jobs created or attained by Americans every month. Uh, they deliver that report every month uh, to us. And so this month, um, for the, or rather last month, for the month of May, uh, the American economy was able to produce about 559,000 jobs. Um, that's 559,000 people, at least about 559,000 people getting a new job in just in the month of May. So that's... Um, that in more normal years, that would actually be a pretty, pretty good number. Um, for some context, throughout all of President Trump's term, um, at no point uh, in the monthly jobs report did we get 559,000 jobs. So um, that should give a sense of just how many jobs we've seen. Like this is a lot more than we um, usually get to see. But I don't think... This is like something amazing um, for for um, President Biden to claim credit for. We are recovering from a pandemic and our economy is also recovering with that. I should remind you that throughout 2020, 50 million people, 50 million plus rather, um, filed for unemployment benefits or had claimed unemployment um, in some capacity throughout the year. So... 
50 million people need to get their jobs back. And for the most part, it's been a, a p- process that's been going on since March when we first saw those alarmingly high numbers. Now, President Biden um, is claiming that he delivered the most jobs on his Instagram earlier. He posted that he created, I believe, 2.1 million jobs in his four, first four months. Um, and compared that to President Trump's 680,000 and Ronald Reagan's 280,000 um, jobs. So, yes, um, the 2.1 million metric is pretty good. And um, in, a normal, in a normal year, I think President Biden would receive a lot of praise for this type of productive work. But really, if millions of people lost their jobs regaining those jobs are not necessarily a net success. So for President Biden, um, he should be happy that that many people got him, but not too happy. Like, he shouldn't be celebrating, saying that, wow, I'm the greatest job creator of all time. He didn't. Um, he did not do that. Or, well, he can claim credit for it, but really it's just a recovering economy. So that many people filed or rather claim that they got an employment um, and that they have a job now. So that's fine. Um, And, you know, this economic recovery has been slow in some regards, but fast in others. I'd say that this economy or economic recovery started probably in April of last year. Now, you may be wondering, Ishan, are you stupid? We We were in the middle of a pandemic. We were in the beginning of it in April. And you you might be right, but really... Millions of people are not April, May, rather, so a month from last year. So um, what had happened was millions of people filed for unemployment through the month of April. I remember getting the jobs report every Thursday, um, the jobs report every Thursday. um, And it said this many people lost their jobs and this this many people lay off, you know. But I, I knew that people were also getting hired back in May itself. Um, and that, that number had been consistently increasing. Now, to President Biden's credit, that many jobs, he did create substantially more jobs in his first four months uh, in office so far. He has created those, that many jobs, about 2.1 million. Um, but, you know, it's nothing to write home for. Um, so now, Economists say, according to ABC News, economists note that the economy is in an awkward place right now. It's recovering from a devastating crisis. But the speed and the rebound, um, it's it's just showing us how modest um, this growth is. I mean, yeah, 560,000 jobs, big deal. Um, But really, if you look at the net growth of like actual new jobs that you know people haven't had before that's not a lot um that that's not a large amount in that um so this econ- economic recovery what this what i will say is that this um jobs report is um indicative of just how many people are getting back um and how fast our economy is recovering so far this um 580,000 jo- or not 80,000 excuse me 560,000 jobs is um it's a big number in comparison to previous um in t- in comparison to previous events and um and it's been consistently increasing too so back um and then um pay is also up right now 
uh, people are getting more money as more jobs are getting added to the economy. More people are getting paid. And I think that's an incentive from employers' parts to bring in more workers right now because uh, people are rather employers are not getting the work that they need done right now. So they're trying to get any possible um, any possible incentive to get people back so that that pay raise, I'm not surprised with that happening. And this also brings up a um, a new discussion on the unemployment insurance issues that are going on right now. Many states have been um, revoking unemployment insurance um, for people that have been on it for a specific period of time. Uh, states like Florida come to mind. Um, Governor Ron DeSantis there, he repealed or revoked rather federal um job job um unemployment insurance to people and this is a move on mainly many republican states to um get people back to work uh and to get people in the workplace um and they claim that that's the only way we're going to do things they say that people are using the unemployment insurance to just stay at home and not do anything and get their check but uh, Democrats, on the other hand, argue that this is really important for um, it's really important for these for unemployed people, specifically people of color um, who have been laid off or have lost their jobs at disproportional rates. Um, the unemployment insurance is really important. So that debate is still going on right now. But overall, with 559,000 jobs added to our economy in last month, Really, it's indicative of how fast our economic recovery is going, steady, but um, consistent growth. And um, it also shows that we're, we're on a path headed to normalcy. And I think that's, that's all anybody wants right now. Of course, people want jobs and people want to get back to work. But it, we also want to get back to a sense of normalcy. And as we see more people getting back into the workforce... It shows that we are entering that that normal part of our lives that we really miss from over a year ago. And for the final segment of this episode, we're going to be talking about um, something that I intend on bringing up every episode, if not every episode, as many episodes as I can. And this will be more of a report or an update on the 2022 midterm elections. So for our listeners who don't know exactly what I'm talking about, in the United States, we hold elections every four years for um, for president. Um, that's usually the one most people know about. But we also have our two houses of Congress, uh, the U.S. Senate and the House of Representatives. Uh, the House of Representatives is up every two years, and one-third of the Senate um, is up every two years. So um, usually in a president um, or in an election year, that's not a presidential election year and it's an even year. That's usually regarded as the midterm elections. That's because it's in the middle of the incumbent president's term. So this November, uh, not this November, next November in 2022 will be the middle of President Biden's first term in office. And usually midterm elections are a very interesting thing for people to watch in um in a, in poli- in the political field it's really important um a, a midterm elections to give an idea 
midterm, um, the 2018 midterms, which was in the middle of President Trump's term in office, Democrats gained control of the House by a very large margin, actually. Uh, I can't remember just how many seats, but they cut control of the House of Representatives. And they failed to get control of the Senate. In fact, they lost seats there. But what it showed was there was a much, and also in 2018, I should note, that it was a large progressive year. So many progressives, many liberals uh, made it into Congress. So that 2018 midterm election, like most midterm elections, was really indicative um, of what the president's standing was across the country. And mainly, it was more of a disapproval of the incumbent president. And mostly, most of the time in most elections, that's usually what happens. Um, Yeah, that's usually what happens in most midterm elections. It's usually just an election to reject the sitting president. And it's the incumbent party's goal. I don't think incumbent parties really have the intention of being able to gain too many seats. I think their main goal is to just make sure they don't lose that many seats. Um, So in 2018, the Democrats were able to get control of the House. Um, I can't remember how many seats they picked up, but they did pick up quite a few. And um, and that had a huge impact because uh, it was mainly the... um, impeachment of President Trump, not the second one, but the first one that uh, really um, was caused by Democrats being able to gain control. I believe, um, now that I have it up, it, the net change for the 2018 midterms in the House of Representatives was a 41-seat gain for Democrats. That's how they got their majority in the House of Representatives. They gained 41 seats in the House. Um, and that was a mainly rejection year for President Trump. Um, it was, that's what most, um, pundits had, that's what most pundits had come to the conclusion to. Um, and then President Obama actually faced, um, a tough midterm himself in, in that, in the year 2010. So two years after him becoming president, President Obama's party, the Democrats, they, um, lost control of the house after a very large victory. They lost control of the house in 2010 and Republicans gained a whopping 63 seats in the House. Uh, 63 seats they gained. And uh, through that, they got control of the U.S. House. So midterm elections are usually um, elections that many incumbent parties, mostly um, incumbent parties and leaders, are very ner- get very nervous about. I don't know about President Biden, where he stands. Of course, we are only four months into his term, and we're only four months into Democrat control of the government. Right now, the Democrats do control the presidency, the Senate, and the House of Representatives. We are only four months in, but um, so we can't really say we can't really make the determination of whether or not Joe Biden is nervous about it. Earlier this week, I believe in New Mexico. There was an election um, for Secretary of Interior Deb Holland's seat. She um, had resigned from her seat in order to become Secretary of Interior. So they had an election there. And um, and yeah, and, and in New Mexico, uh, I can't remember the name of the candidate, unfortunately. But um, what I do remember is that she, the Democrat, 
won seventeen with won by a seventeen percent margin. Uh, she gave, she won with a seventeen percent margin. So that was, I think, the first hint at President Biden's approval in this. But I don't think that's a pretty good indicator, only because um, the 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 seat that we're talking about in New Mexico was a pretty reliable Democrat seat. In fact, Joe Biden won that seat by 23% in the election, and Secretary Holland won that seat by 23% herself at the time. So um, it's not really the best indicator of where things stand, the New Mexico seat. I think later this year in 20, or in November, when some states have their off-year elections. Those are usually elections right after or in the year after a presidential election or right before one. Uh, we might get some indication of that usually in November. Um, and, and many states, not many states, but a few states will be holding elections. California will be holding one. I think it's fair to say that that's a safe Democrat state. Um, but state uh, two states, Virginia and New Jersey, will be holding um, governor elections, gubernatorial elections. And then there are across the country scattered around um, House of Representatives seats. Um, many of them um, are really important for the Democrats um, and not not as much for the Republicans because some of those seats are safe Republican seats. At least that's how I feel about them. Many of them are safe seats. But um, I think in this situation, for the time being, uh, with throughout 2021, the control of the House and these off-year House elections are going to be really important for the Democrats. If I'm not wrong, and I may be wrong, I'm not, I don't remember that well, but I believe the Democrats' majority in the House of Representatives is the narrowest it's been in over 20 years. It's, um, I think, a five or six seat majority. And with absences and vacancies, I believe that's actually not even five, but four or three or four seat majority in the House. So Democrats do have a, a lot of liability right now in the House. Like they could lose a lot um, of votes and important and passing important bills in this time. And it's probably more, the feeling is probably more on their side um, of worry or excitement. You know, those, the, the feeling of extreme, an extreme feeling, that type of feeling. Uh, I think the Democrats have that more than Republicans. Republicans have their own goals and they have a few of their own issues that they're dealing with right now. Um, but the Democrats are probably a lot more worried about um, their prospects in 2022. And, it, it, and House elections can really change, unlike Senate elections, Senate elections, you know, everybody's electing two people to represent them in the Senate, and only one of them is usually up in an election year. So, um, you know, Senate elections are probably not super indicative of where the country's at. Right now, it's a 50-50 tie in the Senate, but that's that's different. The House, however, it's 
different pockets of population across the country that are sending their own representatives the to the US Congress. So that's a lot more reflective of the overall party alliance or, or not party alliance, party allegiance and party support amongst the American people. So while President Biden did win by bigger margins in some states than the others, Republicans still gained uh, a large amount of seats in the House in the 2020 election. And they closed that, even though Democrats were expected to make gains over their existing majority, they lost seats. And the Republicans made, I believe, a net gain of 12 seats in um, in their in, in the House of Representatives. They added 12 seats uh, a net gain of 12 seats to their caucus. They won a few more states. But um, even though it was a year where Democrats were expected to win big. So the House of Representatives is far more indicative of what's going to happen. So this midterm election year is going to be really important for Biden. And I think what's really going to drive this is the rhetoric behind policies and politics right now. So um, I think one thing that proved to be really fatal for the de- Democrats last year, um, and mainly I'm talking about them because they were in the majority, uh, what proved to be fatal for the Democrats in 2020 was this new rhetoric of things like defund the police and socialism and all kinds of things like that. You know, like the far, far left type of things. That's how every Democrat was being characterized, even though there were many moderate Democrats that did not support any of this, they were also being tainted in this light. And while the support for many of these movements is larger than others, um, they are not very representative of the Democratic Party. However, despite that, the Democratic Party lost many seats, mainly due to that rhetoric, but also in opposition to Joe Biden, of course. But a lot of it was driven by rhetoric and midterm elections especially are driven by rhetoric. What is our country going down? What is the discussion? What are policies that are being discussed right now? So with President Biden spending uh, $1 trillion right now, $1 to $2 trillion, and trying to work out a infrastructure, an infrastructure package that's also a um, trillion dollars or more on its own, they're still in talks about it, so we're not sure yet. But because, but he's um, in talks about that. Trillions of dollars prove could be very difficult for Biden to con- to explain to the American people. When President Obama um, talked uh, did the 2008 financial crisis recovery plan and also did the Affordable Care Act, that proved to be so so um, uh, um, impactful on president or on the Democrats' major- uh, majority in the House at that time. The Republicans went out with this rhetoric that there is out of roof, crazy amounts of government spending. It's not representative of you. Uh, All these Democrats are trying to spend this much money. And that's how they gain control of the House. I feel like with um, President Biden doing something similar right now to President Obama, President Obama didn't even spend a trillion dollars on his plan. Um, combined maybe, but I know each individual plan was less than a trillion dollars. I think it was in the 700 billion mark. Um, and that proved to be so hard for him to deal with. I can only imagine what President Biden might have to deal with uh, and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, what they might have to deal with in, in November. So thinking about it right now, I feel like the Republicans, like any opposition party, have 
a better chance. I can't I won't say that about the Senate, but I will say about the House. I think the Republicans at this time um, have a much better chance of regaining their majority um, in November and in, in 2022 than um, than uh, de- the Democrats have of retaining it. Of course, we are over. Um, we're not 18 months out anymore. We have hit the 18 month mark. We are now less than, uh, we are over, or rather, we're over a year out. We have a lot of things to take a look at. We still don't have all candidates ready. Uh, Wisconsin Senator, for, uh, the, for example, Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson hasn't decided whether or not he's running for re-election. Um, he's promised that he wouldn't run for re-election in 2016 when he was running for a second term, but... Um, course that may change president trump has already indicated that he would like ron johnson to run for re-election we don't know about him we do we know uh we don't know about many democrats um whether or not they're running for re-election and there are all kinds of retirements going on and there are a few more that we may expect uh to come i'm not saying they will happen uh but many of there are a few other retirements that i have my eye on at the moment uh we'll see if those um, announcements come. But at this time, um, I think the Republicans have a pretty fair shot at getting the House. And the Democrats, um, I don't know about the House for them. I don't think they have a good chance of retaining it. We'll need to see, of course. And then for the Senate, it's a 50-50 tie right now. So it's literally never been more divided than it is right now. And in the Senate, with so many Republicans announcing their retirement, um, I believe it's five right now. So five Republicans are announcing their retirement um, for, uh, retirement from the U.S. Senate. So we'll need to see uh, what exactly um, or who exactly we might see uh, also retiring from the Senate. I, there are a few Democrats, I believe, might choose to retire. But the Republicans um, in the state uh, in the states of Ohio, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Alabama and Missouri uh, all have announced retirements and all of them are Republican held. Now, for the state of Alabama, I'm not placing any money on that. I think that's a safe Republican state. Missouri, um, I don't think that's going to be very competitive, Um, although it's worth pointing out that. In 2016, when um, Missouri was uh, when the incumbent senator uh, was up for election, Roy Blunt was up for re-election. At that point in 2016, he won his election by a very narrow margin, despite the fact that President Trump won by ten plus, uh, ten plus percent, um, in the same state. So I I don't think that will be too competitive though. I think Missouri has been shifting quite fast um, into the Republican field and is going to, is and I feel like that will probably be a Republican pickup or not pickup Republican retain or hold. Now my eye for the Senate is probably on st- the states of Wisconsin, Ohio, Pennsylvania. Those were Wisconsin and Pennsylvania were huge huge um, shots in the twenty twenty election, if you remember. Um, Ohio is also up. Ohio has a Democratic senator, Sherrod Brown, um, and Tim Ryan, uh, a House or a House member, a representative in the House, 
uh, announced his um, plans for running for um, U.S. Senate in Ohio uh, for 2022. I personally believe that he will win the nomination there, um, but we'll need to see, of course. And in North Carolina, North Carolina has a sitting U.S. or sorry, it has a they have a U are sitting Democrat governor at this time, but they have pretty much everyone else as a statewide official as a Republican there, but they have one Democrat governor. So, North Carolina seems a little competitive even in twenty twenty, um, and for the past few election cycles, really, it's been quite close. One, two, three, four, five percent max has been the margins there. Other states um, that might get competitive, actually not might, probably will, um, could definitely be states like uh, Arizona and Georgia, two Democrat-held states, but in pretty uh, Republican states. Arizona is more of a swing state. Uh, Mark Kelly is up there. He won his election against Martha McSally in 2020. He's up for a real or he's up for re-election in 2022. Um, because that year was a special election. And in Georgia, it's the same situation. Um, Senator uh, Raphael Warnock is up for re-election in 2022. And we'll need to see if, about him because he's voting a lot more ambitiously with the Democrats. And drew, um, not ambitiously, that's not the right word. Uh, I don't know why I said that. Um, he's just voting a lot more. Fr- he's a lot more freer in terms of voting with the Democrats something you wouldn't expect of a you a democrat senator in a state like Georgia which is with the exception of 2020 quite republican another state which i don't know if it'll be a swing state on the general level but in the primary level i think alaska could be a prime target for trump republicans the incumbent senator Lisa Murkowski, she's up for re-election there, and you may have heard of Lisa Murkowski as being one of the more moderate members of the Republican Party. She's a moderate member um, in the party, and she has been vehemently criticized by President Trump um, for her moderate viewpoints and lack of support for the Trump agenda. He has uh, P, meaning President Trump, has pledged to. Uh, mount a very difficult race for Lisa Murkowski, but with their ranked choice voting system, we'll, we can. Um, I I feel like Lisa Murkowski may have a little more luck there, and I think she may end up uh, just holding on to her seat for another six years. So in in um in conclusion for the Senate, the states I'm watching are. Um, Oh, yeah, wait, I forgot another one. Iowa. Iowa is another state. Uh, Chuck Grassley, he is the oldest senator, um, uh, I believe, in the U.S. Senate altogether. He's 89 or something, and he is currently deciding whether or not he wants to retire this um, for this election. He hasn't said anything, and he said he won't make a decision until later. Um, he won't make a decision until, I think, a few... Um, a year or eight months out from the election. So we'll need to wait for his spot. But either way, Iowa is kind of a Republican state, but it's been seen more comfortably as a swing state still. I don't see it as a uh, swing state yet, um, or anymore rather. It's more of a Republican state. But I'm still going to keep my eye on Iowa. So for primary elections, 
and for the general election. My eye, are my eyes are on Arizona, um, Iowa, Wisconsin, Ohio, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and Georgia. Florida might be a bit of a. Florida's also another state, probably. Marco Rubio's up there. Um, Florida Representative Val Demings might run for um, that Senate seat. She has yet to announce that, though. But most reports and many aides close to her are saying that she is probably going to run for um, run for U.S. Senate there. We'll need to wait for that announcement, too. So that's my view of the 2022 midterms. And um, about the 2024 elections, I feel like um, there is going to be whatever happens in 2022 is going to be the clearest indicator of what's happening in 2024. It's going to be like, um, it's not going to be like 2018 and 2020. In 2018, there was a huge democratic push, um, a huge democratic push, um, and, and pretty more, uh, more like a, a push against Donald Trump. Um, there was a huge, uh, movement in 2018, whereas in 2020, uh, more people just voted against Donald Trump on the presidential level, whereas on the House and Senate and gubernatorial and state legislature levels, Republicans made a lot of gains. I don't think it's going to be this way in 2022 and 2024. I think for these two years, it's going to be um, it's going to be a lot more hand in hand type of thing. Uh, whatever happens in 2022 is going to be really. Um, really indicative of what's going to happen in 2024. And I'm not sure when, in terms of 2024, I'm not sure when, but at some point, I'm probably going to drop a list of people, um, a list of Republicans who I have an eye on, um, who I believe might be running for that nomination in 2024. Uh, either it'll be a list um, or it'll be announced on this podcast. I'm still trying to formulate that list. If you want to get more updates about what I'm going to talk about or when episodes are up or just breaking news in general, follow the Ishan S. Show on Instagram. Stay tuned for our next episode. And uh, thank you for joining me on this first episode of the Ishan S. Show. I'll see you. Um, I'll see you on Tuesday. Thanks. Bye. Thank you.